0: My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. are <laughs> gonna do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. i not Fourth of July. What about community dispatch? So on this show, with the help of my guest, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here at Let's Talk Dispatch with me, Ashley, the Raspy Dispatcher. I actually just got back from a uh, weekend trip with my fiance and one of my old teammates from college, Allie. Uh, She just had her first kid about six months ago, and she was like, please take me for a weekend. (laughs) So we all got together and we drove up to Reno. Um, And although I did not win enough money to retire, Um, I am up $100, so I'm going to take that as a win going into my next work week. Um, I did tell my work that I wouldn't be returning, so I think they'll be surprised when I show back up the shift. Uh, So everyone today, we're going to be talking about uh, the call that a dispatcher never wants to take, always has to be prepared to handle, and honestly and unfortunately, is just becoming more and more common active shooter situations. My guest today is a retired Connecticut state police officer and founder of the RAK Academy, and they're here today to talk about shaving seconds to save lives in an active killer incident. Hi, Dan.
1: Hi, Ashley, and uh, congratulations. Uh, Do you have a wedding date uh, picked out and everything?
0: Oh, no, no wedding date yet. We're just kind of rolling in it, you know. We live out here in California, so our first uh, instinct is like, we got to buy a house. We gotta. Yeah, good
1: point. Good point.
0: The housing market's wild out here. So we're going to do that first and then kind of go from there.
1: Awesome. Well, congratulations.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. I thought you were congratulating me on my hundred dollar win. Do you see wow. where my mind is? <laughs> I told my supervisor, I was like, look, I don't know if I'm going to be back Thursday because I might just hit the big pot. You and know, I did not.
1: <laughs> that's a fair heads up, you know. It's.
0: I know, right? I think it's. I'm right. always
1: wondering when I'm driving along the highway and they announce the winning lottery n- numbers for you know a five billion dollar thing. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to be driving next to that guy or that
0: <laughs> that woman oh. when she figures <laughs> out that
1: she's won, right?
0: Yeah, seriously. Oh man. <laughs> uh, so Dan, tell us a little bit how you got into public safety and a little bit about your journey.
1: Sure, I uh, you know, like many people, I just thought that it would have great purpose. I initially had gone to college for advertising and mm-hmm. I quickly found out that, you know, sales was not, was not my strong point And I just wanted something with uh, some more purpose. So I ended up joining the army national guard mm-hmm. and long story short, that kind of led me into uh, law enforcement. And I was, I'd like to say that I had it all planned out and knew exactly what I was getting into, but you know, I, I really didn't. I was very fortunate to get on with, you know, what I believe is one of the best agencies uh, across the country uh, for a lot of different reasons. So I was just very fortunate to uh, get on with the Connecticut state police and have the experiences that I did and, and then be able to retire uh, both physically healthy and I believe mentally healthy and move on to some other things.
0: That is awesome. It's funny. I just interviewed, um, with someone who works as a dispatcher in Maine and I guess their retirement system is group based and their state troopers are in group three and they only have to serve like 25 years and then they're eligible for retirement. And I'm like, that's, that's amazing.
1: (laughs) Well, what's more amazing is we only did 20. So I actually, actually career. (laughs) I did 23, you know, so you can stay longer. And our YouTubers now, unfortunately, have to do 25. It's still a great Mm -hmm. retirement system, but it's one of the largest pieces of advice that I give to somebody that wants to go into law enforcement is I say, don't just look at all the cool Gucci stuff, Mm -hmm. like really dig into what their healthcare package is, what their Mm -hmm. retirement package is, and how long you have to do, because that extra five or 10 years is an absolute kick in the butt in this profession. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're when you're 20, 25, and you're just looking to do some real good things, but have some adventure, you don't pay attention to those things. But 10, 15 years later, once you've got a family, and you're thinking about what you want to do afterwards, and you want to make some, some movements, either laterally, be, you know, because you want to change jobs, but within the same agency, or you want to make promotion, you know that's uh it can be very restrictive if you didn't choose the right place. So, it's one of the, my biggest recommendations is really just digging it in, digging into the deeper things of that agency that you're looking into.
0: It is true, and even if you're going into dispatch, you know one of the one of the big things is like you're right when at twenty twenty five, literally like ah, going to be working for x amount of years. I don't need to worry about right fireman or you know anything like that. But it is. So true that if you do worry about it and you really are intentional about understanding the retirement that you're going into, or even when you're job searching, it's going to make life a lot easier down the road when you're heading out the door for any reason.
1: Yeah. I would even recommend, I mean, instead of just looking at the bottom line, which is what pretty much what everybody was looking at was what the salary is.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, if, if you can retire five or 10 or 15 years earlier, even if you take a lesser salary, depending on what the calculation of it is, that's probably a, a win win for you and your family afterwards. So there's a lot there's a lot to look into that. And I'm certainly not I'm still not the right person to actually know all those numbers. I just yeah. I just know that I got lucky. I really do.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because I just watched like a Instagram, some social media nonsense the other day that someone was talking about compensation and when you think about your salary, that benefits is part of your compensation packet, like I think, like you said, a lot of us are like, okay, how much is my check going to be every month? But in reality, all those things pour into that bucket and do ultimately impact, you know, our livelihood down the road. So I think it's super important.
1: Yeah, it's, I'll tell you, just two big things of our pension, right? Not only do we collect immediately, but we have free health care for life
2: mm.
1: for ourselves and our spouse yeah. and our family up till twenty six. But we also get a COLA, so cost of living increase based on uh, inflation, which Mm. fortunately has been pretty high, but fortunately it's actually been pretty high for us. So,
2: Mm.
1: you know, those two things, as I travel across the country and I talk to people and we have sidebars, are Mm. two game changers is, you know, the cost of health insurance or the fact that you have that and the fact that you have a COLA, so your pension is going to continue to grow, hopefully Mm. with the the rate of inflation so
0: very cool i know that that number 26 man when i turned 26 and i got that letter <laughs> that said you're no longer on your dad's city insurance right. and then i had to look and see how much medical costs and i was just like what in the world happy yes. birthday <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're right That's man so right. that
0: 26 is a tough number <laughs> uh so we were talking a little bit before offline uh that for for you at your department when you worked there, you folks also had a rotation or a patrol position as a dispatcher or working the desk. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So one of the unique things and and one of the reasons why I really enjoyed working with the Connecticut State Police is we are fairly unique compared to the majority of police departments across the agency. We don't just uh, run the highway by any means. We have so many local towns that are so raw or so small that they don't have any police departments at all. So therefore a state trooper will just, for a patrol that day, will cover probably three of those towns all by themselves, which means we handle everything on patrol from the cat in the tree to a low level sex assault. Mm-hmm. So that means that we're very much fulfilling the role and getting the experience as many of the local, Uh, police departments do right we get that investigative experience and certainly we handle the highways as well so we we deal with that but we also one of our patrol assignments every single day at each one of our troops throughout the state is for at least one desk trooper to sit the desk with our dispatchers and we certainly don't do it as well as those dispatchers but every single one of us straight out of the academy are desk certified and, you know, at some troops, it's a very senior position because those troopers would rather stay inside, not have to do the paperwork and, mm-hmm. you know, not have to field those calls. In other troops, it's actually a very junior position because, you know, the troopers there, they just want to get out on the road and 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 do that type of police work. But mm-hmm. what it does mean is that, you know, we put on the headset every single day and, and get that experience and I think have a very... Uh, good appreciation for what dispatch does. We actually have as part of our, not only do our dispatchers, right? We have an eight week dispatcher Academy where Mm. our dispatchers have to go through, regardless of if they've been a dispatcher somewhere else, they've got to still go through our eight week dispatch Academy Mm. and our dispatchers that run that Academy. They actually train our recruits Mm. on the recruit level. So they come in and they educate them about what dispatch is and then part of our FTO program is you have to spend—I believe it's about a half a day—in dispatch. So you have nice. to sit there and just get used to the environment, about what's going on. The fact that dispatch could be blown up and very, uh, you know, chaotic, even though the radio may sound very quiet. And so wow. you really get the experience <laughs> and understanding. And I—I I think that helps for a uh, a better analysis, which is you know where I led into, but also just a, a better understanding and appreciation for for what you guys do because the, the reality, reality is I think you're you're undervalued and you're under-trained.
0: Thank you. No, I, I really do think that that's a very unique, because I've worked at two agencies, both city, city police, and I think every officer that I've really ever really come into contact with, they're just like, oh, no, I could never do this job. Like, your Thank guys' you. job is wild it's just so different from you know our side of the of the radio and the fact that for you and your department that even more than just having someone sit in during their training like you guys are actually trained to do that part of the job I think it definitely helped with that patrol dispatch relationship because you guys get it you know what I mean like I don't have to explain to you like you said the radio might be the word we don't say, but inside, you know, I'm fielding, you know, 400 calls or some craziness. Um, having that understanding, I think, goes a long way for a Absolutely. dispatcher. Yeah.
1: And some of our best patrol troopers are ones that were dispatchers first mm-hmm. and then actually, uh, you know, moved over to be troopers. We actually had a, a, a dispatcher who, re- who then came to the sworn side and retired as a lieutenant colonel. So,
0: wow. Very cool. Uh,
1: they certainly deserve a lot more appreciation, but I think we give more appreciation than than most. Awesome.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about R.A.K. Academy, how that started, and what's, oh. your, what's your mission with that?
1: Sure. Well, the majority of my career was as a detective in our major crime squad. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I was assigned as the lead investigator for the Sandy Hook school shooting. So, up until that, I, you know, certainly had some training and we had had a previous active shooter incident in uh, a few years before in our state, but obviously Sandy Hook to, took it to a whole different level. And as the, uh, as the case officer, I was then often requested to go around and give talks at conferences and, and things like that and share lessons learned, which is, which is something we absolutely have to do. Hmm. But what I found is, as I started giving presentation after presentation, uh, especially if they were limited in time, I mean, because you could talk for days as far as the lessons learned across the board for Mm -hmm. for Sandy Hook. But anytime that I was limited in time, I I found myself struggling with what to present, right? So what to keep in and what to cut out. Mm -hmm. And so I had sat in those seats and been briefed on, the O.J. Simpson case and the Casey Anthony case and, you know, all these high profile cases. And oftentimes we spend hours talking about the case and showing photos and talking about details, but we don't give enough takeaways, right? How does that really make me a better detective going back the next day instead of just knowing the story? So I really committed to not just telling the story of Sandy Hook, but making sure that there was some purpose and some skill building that was going to come out of it. And as I started looking more about what I talked about, which was, you know, I certainly had a focus on command post operations and uh, detective specific stuff and what those first responders on the scene showing up should be doing and, and school safety and all these different aspects. I found that the most important thing was dispatch. It was, it was not only the most important because they had the most opportunity to save lives, but it was the most important because it's the most overlooked. And mm-hmm. and some of that was just coming down to some simple math. And what we know is that Newtown officers were on scene in about three and a half minutes at Sandy Hook. Mm-hmm. And we believe, even though he didn't leave a suicide note or a manifesto, but because of his strong social anxiety, it was, uh, it was, it was really illogical to believe that he ever thought that he could live on his own, that he could get away or that he could actually, you know, maybe try and take the fight, the law enforcement or get captured and live in incarceration.
2: He had such
1: strong social anxieties that at this point in his life, he really, uh, you know, couldn't have lived anywhere else with anybody else than where he was living. And before he did the school shooting, he had already killed his mother. So, It just makes sense that his plan all along was to kill himself and to do that before there was any chance of him getting taken alive, which when you look in the data, we find that that's usually the answer about 43% of the time, Mm -hmm. right? That that these types of active killers, just presence of law enforcement alone will cause them to either commit suicide, uh, to flee, to barricade, you, you know, hopefully in a in a way that we're not still losing people Mm -hmm. or to maybe take the fight to us. And Mm -hmm. in all those instances, as soon as police officers get on scene, we have some positive effect on the situation and usually stop the killing or at least Mm -hmm. slow it down. But when dispatchers are taking those initial calls, no one's usually on scene yet Mm
0: -hmm. and no one
1: knows about it. And if Mm -hmm. they are not trained specifically about what to do with those calls especially if they do what they normally do by habit and sometimes by policy with so many other calls, then we're going to give away some valuable seconds and we're going to look back and realize that we could have saved lives. If, if he truly had a plan to just commit suicide once police got there, they got there in three and a half minutes. But the simple question is, what if we got him there in three minutes? Mm-hmm. That would have been a half a minute less of trigger squeezes.
2: Mm-hmm. And our number
1: wouldn't be at 26. Mm-hmm. And that has nothing to do with what we usually spend the majority of our training on, which is hallway movements and room entries. Right, mm-hmm. And although that stuff is important, if it doesn't come into play probably half the time, then we're missing this whole opportunity to save lives just to figure out how to get our people on scene quicker. Mm-hmm. That obviously falls usually in the hands of dispatch. Mm-hmm. So, you know,
0: it's it's go ahead.
1: So, from that, that's where the Rack Academy really originated. Is
0: mm-hmm.
1: instead of just doing presentations and giving talks, I started doing specific training. I, my last seven years of the state police, I retired, I was an instructor at the academy, and then I also did 20 years in the military where I was instructor certified. So, mm-hmm. so. I, I know a lot about what actually makes a difference in training and it's not somebody standing up talking, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually us doing good scenario based training, developing muscle memory, overriding bad habits. And, uh, and so that's where the rack Academy developed because I started, even though I still do talks, I started developing very specific scenario based training all the way across the board from school or church or business safety the dispatchers taking the calls to police officers that are showing up on the scene. And they all, they all include just doing good reps. So in our two day dispatch response to active killers, our DRAC, we actually do scenario based training for those dispatchers after we have taught them Mm -hmm. uh, the important things to do. And we set up mock dispatch stations and we have you take uh, mock active shooter calls and they put you really on the only thing that matters, which is the clock as far mm-hmm. as getting things done.
0: Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. So interesting, you know. It's for me, like where I when I grew up, you know, the Columbine had happened. Like that was the first, not the first, but. In my childhood, that was the big incident where it was like, oh, wow, this is like this never happens. And I can't believe, you know, this could be such a thing at schools. And, you know, and now, you know, I'm, I'm 32 years old and Sandy Hook happened. And there's so many other school shootings and active shooting incident incidents in general that are happening that it's so commonplace now where the shock and awe of it has dwindled from, like, my memory as far as when Columbine happened versus when shootings happen now. It's one of those, like, man, another one, you know? And I think the perspective also shifts for me because now I am a dispatcher. And like you said, when dispatchers, when the call comes in, no one knows about it yet, you know? um, I don't, I don't, for folks who don't dispatch and when there is any type of in-progress high-priority violent call such as a shooting we're kind of trained to drop a call with a location and like a word Mm -hmm. you know that it's happening here at sandy hook shooting boom and we're, we're rolling so the person who is dispatching those officers are trained to get them going with no info you know like as fast as we can we're getting more info and of course for a situation like an active shooter you're gonna get a lot more calls um and the other side of it that i wouldn't have thought of before i did this job is the fact that when these places happen in small rural communities their dispatchers are their dispatch centers are reflective of that so you have two people (laughs) maybe Maybe. more likely one (laughs) you know fielding hundreds of calls with probably multiple injuries and limited information, so it is it is really a disservice if a if a department is providing active shooter training only to their officers who are responding on scene.
1: Yeah, I would actually argue that their presence alone has that positive uh, mm-hmm. the positive effects, which is why I think the seconds that are in the hands of the dispatchers are more valuable and have more opportunity to save lives. And yet they get far less and usually actually no training. That's Mm -hmm. really effective and specific. And Mm -hmm. you're right. The most important thing we can do once we get those two things, right? Significant event in general location, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as we get Sandy hook shooting, we don't need even need to wait for the caller to stop talking. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We should dispatch officers. Mm
2: -hmm. However,
1: there's a lot of dynamics that happen, right? So mm-hmm. they, they give that right answer in class when they're in a relaxed, controlled environment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But when you talk about the amount of shock and stress and doubt that happens when they take that once in a career call,
2: mm-hmm. a
1: lot of times, unfortunately, we can go to YouTube right now and from Columbine all the way up to Uvalde, our most recent events. And mm-hmm. we can see that those things oftentimes don't happen. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, right, mm-hmm. because we haven't trained we haven't trained our people enough under that level of stress or something close to it, mm-hmm. to be able to really be focused on those on those things. So we get into a uh, a thing called script writing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is so we're going to map these things out and through classroom discussion identify what the most important actions are to do and what's the most important transmissions to make. And what mm-hmm. ones are not important because there's so much other stuff that we do a lot of times by habit, which are, aren't relevant in the middle of this, which mm-hmm. are maybe relevant in a lot of other calls, but not in these calls. And, you know, it's it's, it's such a uh, controversial area, mm-hmm. but just EMD, which, which mm-hmm. every dispatcher is familiar with, right? Mm-hmm. We have to go down the road of trying to save lives by doing you know, treating somebody medically. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the the prioritization that has to change with an active killer incident and Mm -hmm. relate it to our officers on scene, what are they doing when they get on scene and the killer's still active and they come across somebody that's bleeding out in the hallway?
0: They're they're moving. They're they're moving forward.
1: They're moving by then. Mm -hmm. So that same type of triage during those first ten minutes, I'm not talking about twenty or thirty minutes into this, but while the mm-hmm. killing is still going on, I argue that that same type of triage has to happen for that dispatcher because if they start going, if they start going down the road of EMD and trying to treat a superficial or even a serious gunshot wound,
2: mm-hmm. they're
1: trying to save one person. But meanwhile, like you said, that dispatch center is going to be overwhelmed,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. that means we're dropping nine one one calls. And if we're dropping those calls, then we're missing that key piece of information that they might have. Cause we're trying to save one person. And just like mm-hmm. your police officers in that one type of call, they've got to step over somebody.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
1: some tough decisions that have to be made for our dispatchers. And that's where we really walk through and, and get, get everybody to think about it for the first time.
0: Yeah. And I would even, even go further to say that, you know, for, uh, for citizens who are listening who who aren't in the field yet and when you think about just the 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 rate in which information travels now especially in a school situation um where you know parents have their children there they're worried about their kids they're hearing you know their kid texts them telling them there's an active shooter situation even if it is not uh, confirmed those parents start calling 911 as well. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. so folks who aren't even on scene will start calling 911 telling us there's an active shooter situation. We have to field those calls too. Like, okay, you're not there. You don't have any information. Okay, we have to go. You know, so there is that aspect as well coming into the center for folks who are just scared and they don't know what to do and they want more information because, first, for some, some information is calming rather than no information.
1: Sure. No, it's it's such a great point. We, we literally walk through all these different types of calls that you're going to have to handle mm-hmm. in those first mm-hmm. 10 minutes. And then we write scripts to figure out what's the best and what's the fastest thing that we can do with those calls. And those calls from those parents are right in the mix, along mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of other checklists that your dispatcher's names are on, right? Calling for mutual aid, notifying the mm-hmm. chief, like, activating all these other things which they usually do in so many other types of calls but Mm -hmm. these types of calls are not only overwhelming your PSAP they're overwhelming probably several other PSAPs and Mm -hmm. if you don't know specifically what's the best thing for you to do right then you're probably going to look back and wish that you made some other choices so that's the experience that we focus on giving them in those two days.
0: That's awesome. So, what when you're when you're going through this training and you're, you know, obviously we're not going to go through your whole training here sure. on this episode. Uh, but what what do you think specifically, if you could maybe narrow it down to a sentence or two, is the role of a dispatcher during that active shooter incident?
1: Sure. So I'll give you the initial script. Right. So mm-hmm. as we've already said, and it's we use Sandy Hook, we use active killer incidents as the pinnacle to really drive the point home but when you think about it it could be somebody with having a heart attack an arterial bleed or through the windshield of a car really for any life-saving type situations as soon as a dispatcher has those two things significant event in a general location dispatching assistance whether it's the police officer ems fire is their top priority right? Mm -hmm. And that means cutting off the caller. It means whether you're pushing a button or dispatching through CAD, whatever you're doing, if you don't do that right, then you give away seconds that it doesn't matter how fast those officers or those fire engines drive, they can never get those seconds back. Mm -hmm. So those two things hit the button. Now we have a caller on the line and there's a lot of other information that we need to get. And oftentimes when I ask, if you get to ask one question, what's the most important question? There's such a wide array of questions that people want to ask of, you know, the shooter's name, a physical description, how many shooters, where the victims are. Mm -hmm. But really, when we look at these types of events, which are happening in large facilities or large Mm -hmm. areas, right? Because there's a lot of people there. That's where Mm -hmm. these active killer incidents are happening, which is not the majority of calls that we take. Whereas if... If you're a frequent flyer coming to my house, you just get the address and that's that. you're good to go for location. Mm-hmm. But we need to get a more specific location of where mm-hmm. the threat is, where the victim is, where the heart attack victim is. Because if you just put out a general address, if you just put out one of your local colleges as far as an address and your police officers show up, how big is that campus? Yeah. Like, how big is that mall? And Mm -hmm. how much time, not just seconds, but how many minutes are they going to waste trying to figure out where that killer is? And Mm -hmm. that's where that that falls in this concept of trying to shave as many seconds as possible. Mm -hmm. So the very first question to ask is where specifically is the killer? Now, we don't need roommate row three, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? We don't need that something specific, especially because there's a good chance they're going to move. What we do need is Macy's instead Mm -hmm. of J.C. Penney, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your officers, by showing up fairly close to there, can end up closing the distance and shaving seconds and stopping the threat a lot quicker than if they parked all the way across campus or at the other end of the mall, Mm -hmm. or if they parked at the front of the school when really the shooting is going on in the soccer field down in the back. Mm -hmm. And so not only is that the first and most important question, But when we get an answer, we've got to hit the button and put it out, right? It Mm -hmm. can't be the first of 10 questions, and then we put all that information out together. It's it's, That question is a standalone question. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that, I think, is the the most important script at the beginning. And it sounds so simple, which it is, right? It's simple Mm -hmm. to understand. It's just not simple to do under that much stress, with that much responsibility, and Mm -hmm. because your habits under stress, come back and take you down a different road because it's probably not what you do on the majority of your calls. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that we need to work through there. And it happens every single class where during the first day when we talk about concepts, the more senior dispatchers are getting all the answers right and their heads are nodding and they have all the confidence in the world. And when we actually set up the mock dispatch stations and we put them in those scenarios, their habits come back out. Even though they know the right answers, they start asking questions just like our dispatchers did at Sandy Hook and saying, what makes you think that? Mm. What else is going on there? And asking some irrelevant questions Mm. because that script has not been driven home enough for them. So that's really the beginning part. And I'm sure you're probably already thinking of it. You know, we do, especially with our schools, we do so much school safety training and they have to Mm -hmm. run these lockdown drills, which is a whole nother topic about how bad those usually are. Yeah. But somewhere in those drills, there's some bullet comment that says, call 911. Just like when I took a CPR course when I was 16, but we really don't train people that when they make that call, what's the most important piece of information to give?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And instead, Mm -hmm. they get on the call, which makes your job so much harder because you've got some frantic caller saying things like, oh, my God, Jimmy Jones, he just got fired and he came back. And none of that information matters. Um, what matters is we've got an active killer and that he's in the front hallway. Right. So that's training those people what the most important piece of information actually would make your job easier. So that's what we do in our C-RAC program, which is our civilian response to active killers. Mm. Uh, we, Start teaching them the concept of shading seconds and how they can actually start saving lives uh, to include their own by by really knowing how to make those 911 calls. And there's obviously a lot more there, but that's that's the beginning part of it.
0: But I do think, you know, that is something that is really overlooked and in the world of emergency response is like we train fire drills, we train, you know... Um, earthquake drills for California. We train uh, lockdown drills in schools, but we do not talk about past like kindergarten and having to report a 911 call because the house is on fire. We don't train that anymore. We don't talk about what you believe is important in your emergency. It's not necessarily what I need from you at the start of this call. Like we can get to Billy did XYZ if it's just a standard call um, after the questions that I need answered are answered, you know, but you're right. If we don't train folks to make that 911 call, because I do think that it's been simplified over the years is that you just hit those three buttons, someone will teleport there and it's all good. Yep. <laughs> but there's so much teamwork between that dispatcher and the citizen. Like you said, in those first moments, that the quicker I can get that information from you in any type of call for service, it it could be the difference between saving a life and not.
1: Yeah, those seconds matter, obviously, especially in that active killer incident. But Mm
0: -hmm.
2: that's
1: exactly why we need to train across all three spectrums, from the people that are on scene to the people that are receiving the calls to the people that are showing up on the scene to stop the threat. And yet, unfortunately, the majority of our of our training is done just with those police officers. And it just focuses on what they're going to do when they get inside the building. Mm -hmm. And again, I was one of them. So I know that that's important, but if the data tells us that 50% of the time, it doesn't even come into play, Mm
0: -hmm. then why
1: are we putting all of our training time into those areas? It it just doesn't make sense.
0: That's so true. And I think one of the awesome things about, You know, someone like you creating this training program and when you speak to dispatchers that, yes, you were a state trooper, but in your state trooper situation, you also were a dispatcher. You dispatched, you worked the desk. And I think that's helpful for folks to know that it's someone giving you training, feedback, information that gets it, that has done it as well, even though it wasn't their main um, employment. It was part of their, their role as well. And I think that's extremely helpful for folks to have that buy-in um, because you've done the job of a dispatcher. You've answered the calls and, and you've also, you know, responded on scene. So I think I would imagine that is helpful in creating this program and, and reaching dispatchers.
1: It is absolutely. And oftentimes, especially around New England, I'll have a co-instructor with me who is uh, one of our lead trainers at our dispatch academy.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh,
1: but she's still in the field and still working. So it's mm-hmm. uh, she only gets so much time off. But uh, but if I can bring some other expertise with me, then I I certainly do. But it's it's just such a valuable conversation. And it's just the beginning of it. Right. Mm-hmm. There's there's so many habits after that initial script that come into play where we we waste time. There's policies that are offline. There's mm-hmm. actions that those officers could be doing. Long before they actually get on scene, which also have the ability to shave seconds and save lives, and that's mm-hmm. that's really what we bring into the training.
0: That's so awesome. So, where do folks find you? How do they get in contact with you? How can they uh, go to one of your classes, courses, bring it to their department?
1: Sure. It, it's uh, our website is very simple. It's therakacademy.com. So it's and it's RAK, which is Response to Active Killers. Right, Because we know that even though guns are still the most likely weapon, Mm -hmm. they're using other instruments, they're having cutting devices, they're stealing trucks and driving them through a crowd of people, or they're Mm -hmm. using bombs. So that's why we use this term of active killer instead of just active shooter. And that's Mm -hmm. why the company is the Rack Academy, R-A-K, for that. And if you go to the calendar on there, you'll see where I have all our training events. We're pretty filled for... Uh, the springtime will be in we've already run probably five or six uh, D-racs during the spring
2: mm-hmm.
1: in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Connecticut we'll be in Tennessee at the end of June We'll be in North Carolina uh, we'll be back in North Carolina because we've already been there in the end of August and I don't have them posted yet but you know, come next fall, we'll be in Connecticut again, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New Hampshire. You know, those are all mm-hmm. our free forms. But we've been all over the country. We've been in Montana, California. Mm. Uh, it's it's pretty easy. The concepts are pretty easy to apply, uh, regardless where we're at. But we, we make them specific for your dispatch situation and for who's in the room. Mm. Fortunately, the, the gaps that we see in the blind spots are all too familiar, regardless on Who's actually doing it?
0: Awesome. So, what advice would you give someone as we're wrapping it up who is considering a career in law enforcement or a first responder role in general?
1: You know, I uh, this this answer has kind of changed over the last few years, but now I think where we're at is I would say get in. Like this is this is a great opportunity, and I know it's no secret that you know, there was a defund the police movement and, you know, we've been the attack and the focus on, you know, a lot of things, which some rightfully so we needed to improve on, but some that were just totally blown out of proportion. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the time you want to buy a house is when the market is low. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: although we're in some really tough times for law enforcement right now, which is why recruiting is so low, which is you're seeing signing bonuses and you're seeing pensions being brought back and, and uh, you know, some benefits being given because it is so hard getting people. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have a passion, if you have a purpose, cause that's what this has to be. It has to be a calling for you. Then now is actually a great time to get in, to get in when, you know, the housing market is low, right? Get in now because it's already turning and mm-hmm. you know, pretty much across the board. I think the military went through the same thing around the Vietnam area where they, mm. were, they were underappreciated. They were spat on, they were misunderstood. And then once they turn that corner, I think we're in a place where our military will never be taken for granted again. And I mm. think law enforcement is probably going through that same thing. They were getting uh, misunderstood and focused at and blamed for a lot of things. And some we need to own right? Mm-hmm. We need to constantly get better, right? So much mm-hmm. is focused on this police reform. And, you know, I also do some leadership training. And when when I say that to a group of officers, like you can feel the frustration. Mm-hmm. But the reality is our job is way too complex and way too important for us to not ever be in a, in a constant state of police reform.
2: Mm-hmm. I just
1: prefer to call it police evolution, right? Mm-hmm. We should be constantly evolving and getting better, And when we don't do that, then we have other people that don't know our jobs try and come in and do that. But Mm -hmm. as far as getting into law enforcement right now, the opportunities are better than they ever were. When I applied, there were 12,000 applicants for about 300 recruit positions, right, Mm -hmm. just to get into the academy. Mm -hmm. Now those numbers are nowhere near that, which means you can use that to your advantage. Mm -hmm. So our departments are extremely young. Their numbers are low as anything, and it's gonna be that way for a few years. But once we start to get back to what right is, those people that have gotten in now are gonna have seniorities, they're gonna be running the departments and they're gonna be well on their way, and they're gonna be taking advantage of the fact that recruiting is so tough right now. So mm-hmm. I would absolutely recommend recommend that if somebody has that sense of purpose now is actually a great time to get in, especially because it's going to take you probably six months to a year to get through the process anyways.
2: Mm-hmm. And we're going to mm-hmm. be in a
1: different place from that time. Just like a year ago, we were in a little bit worse place as far as law enforcement goes.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I think that, you know, it's, it's been a weird, weird couple years, you know, I've, I've always wanted to be in law enforcement. You know, I got my degrees in criminal justice. And then when I finally Decided to go into the field and ended up being a dispatcher. It did have that shift where we were having these conversations, hard conversations, and having to own some instances in historical, you know, situations with departments. And you know, I think the the, the phrase "get in" is kind of it's it's so simple and so true because you get in and you make changes, you make departments better, you affect communities, and the only way to really do that is by, you know, being under the headset or, you know, being in the patrol car or in whatever aspect you want to affect that change. But if you're not in it, it's very hard to affect any change in it.
1: Absolutely. And when we speak of change, I think one of the greatest changes that still has to happen, it's, it's starting to catch on. I don't know if your department Mm -hmm. has done this yet, but Mm -hmm. dispatchers, telecommunicators, they, they need to be, uh, considered first responders Mm, right mm -hmm. the days of putting them as an administrative position is just insane Mm -hmm. we have Mm -hmm. we have learned too much not only about how valuable their role is how they can actually save lives and they do every single day but the amount of trauma that they incur which means you should not have to do 35 40 years as a dispatcher it's asking way too much of somebody if you want to that's different than having to Mm. and you should have the same benefits as every other first responder because that's how valuable you are to our position. And anybody out there that I can help fight that battle, we're still trying to go through it in Connecticut, but please, if I can help you, let me know because that's how valuable you are.
0: Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for everything you've done, everything you do. Um, I think the RAK Academy is amazing. Um, I think the mission is incredible in the information that you're providing is needed as you say to to save lives, to, sh- to shave seconds and save lives and thank you so much for wanting to come on the show and share all this information with the listeners
1: absolutely and thank you and thank you for what you do not only behind the desk but behind the microphone uh, right here it's uh, it's so awesome so let's stay in touch
0: awesome thank you i'll be right back with you dan sounds good all right, everybody, that was another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch. Like I said in the opening, you know, the, the active shooter, active killer call is one that I think every dispatcher would prefer to go their whole career without having to take. But the reality is is that it's becoming more and more common. And as Dad, Dan pointed out, that we really need to include dispatchers in these active shooter trainings, these active killer trainings, because they are the first point of contact in any report for any type of active killer situation or any large call for service. So if your department is not including them, it really is a disservice to the community that you are serving. So folks, if you are interested again, check out Dan's website, rak that's robert adam king academy.com and i'll also include that information in the link for this episode until next time stay raspy everybody thanks for joining us here on let's talk dispatch don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a five star review consider joining our patreon for exclusive content early access to episodes and discounts on merch at the Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. All of these things help support the creation of more content, because the world needs more dispatchers. Thank you all again for the love and continued support, and until next time, stay raspy.